Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Brian. It's good to see you. My, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the summit. Merry Christmas to you. Really thankful that you're here, and especially there's a lot of people I haven't ever seen before. And so even in the corners, I'll try not to ignore you guys over there uh, as well. It's really glad, uh, really thankful just to have our building full of uh, friends and neighbors and people who aren't even friends yet, but we hope are uh, after this evening as well. Um, this is one of my favorite things that we do as a church. And I think a lot of ways, it's very countercultural in the way that we go about doing this in terms of like this... Christmas Eve celebration thing we do is like very intentionally simplistic. Uh, we don't have laser light shows. We don't have fog machines. Uh, you probably not leave here tremendously impressed. And in a lot of ways, that's very much uh, on purpose. In fact, this might be a little bit like the worst kind of beginning to a Christmas talk ever. Um, but like, I really despise Christmas pageants. Um, not like entirely. I don't have like a, a religious objection to them or something like that. It's more of a preference thing. But I think in a, in a big way, the reason I'm so opposed to Christmas pageants is because a lot of times the spectacle is so huge and it's kind of so impressive that particularly for those of you who are going through hard things, particularly for those of you who kind of aren't walking in the majority cultural narrative that this is the most magical time of the year and this kind of everything, all your wildest dreams should be coming true right now. Those of you working through tragedy and hardship and difficulty right now, it's difficult for you to kind of feel like you have any sort of place in terms of what's going on. And in a lot of ways, you feel like an outsider where everybody else is on the inside as well. There is one Christmas pageant that is probably my favorite Christmas pageant ever. It happened in 2010. Uh, it was at a church that my pastor was actually, uh, a friend of mine was actually an executive pastor at. It was in Florida, this church right outside of Disney. And they did it huge. They would do like laser lights. Uh, they would do fog machines. They hired the people from Disney to come in and produce this entire thing. And so they would bring in like professional uh, Disney animals in. I don't know if you knew that, but Disney owns a bunch of animals and they bring them in. And so they had like professional lions and tigers and monkeys. And they even had like a professional camel they would bring in to sort of rediscover the majesty and the spectacle of the first uh, nativity scene ever. And uh, if you can actually go on YouTube and see this, don't go do that right now. But uh, it went viral. My, again, my friend was there to kind of witness all this. But, you know, in comes all these wild animals, and there's laser lights going everywhere, and it looks like it's like a Metallica concert. And then this camel, this professional camel, yes, professional camel, walks in through the center aisle between these pews, and justifiably so, so gets completely thrown off by the fog machines and the laser lights and sort of pauses. And the handler's like, are you going to come any further? And the camel's like, no, I'm not going to come any further. And it just stops, and then it takes a step back, and then it loses its balance, and it wobbles back and forth, and then it just boom, tips over, and pews go flying everywhere like it's popcorn going into the air, and people are running and screaming, and I think it's the best Christmas pageant ever. Uh, that, that's sort of my opinion about it. And the reason why is because I feel like it really captures much of the tragedy, much of the fear, much of the vulnerability, much of the difficulty of the first Christmas. And I think it gives some element of hope. And this is the reason I just kind of want to get, make two very quick observations about the first Christmas. is so that for those of you who do feel like outsiders looking on the inside, for those of you who don't feel like this is the most magical time of the year, for those of you who've had a really hard week, for those of you who experienced family drama, for those of you who have had 2016 be the hardest year ever, and the internet's blowing up about this, right? Like 2016 is the worst. And uh, a lot of you are like, amen, that is the worst. I'm not even spiritual, but amen. Uh, I agree with that as well. Um, I just want you to see that really Christmas actually is for you. Um, actually, God uniquely does prioritize and come uh, for those of you who feel like you're on the outside uh, because of your difficulty and your tragedy. Now, I just want to make two quick observations uh, about this. And I'll be quick. So if your parents, if your kids are going crazy, that's totally fine, okay? That's my entire existence. I've got a child as well. It's constant noise. So don't worry about your kids, okay? It's totally fine. Um, but let me just make two quick observations to you about the very first Christmas that I hope will be some element of uh, hope to you if you're going through really, really difficult things. 
The first is just the element of when you study the very first Christmas from the passage we just read, uh, what you see is that God came in the most outsider way possible. He came in the most outsider way possible, which should be very good news for those of you who feel like outsiders. Now, let me just read for you one quick line that we just read. You might have kind of just thought we breezed by it. But verse 7 of the passage we just read in Luke uh, says, And she, that's Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. Now, here's the problem that I have with uh, Christmas pageants is a lot of times there's such a degree of romanticism of this scene. Um, you know, like there's cute little toddlers dressed up like Mary and Joseph and they have a baby. And it's like, that looks like the sweetest thing ever. And particularly when you look at this, you're like a manger, swaddling clothes. I don't know what swaddling clothes are, but they're probably very comfortable. I don't know if Patagonia makes those, but I would love to have some. Are they fleece? Like, how are those? Um, it's highly, highly romanticized. And I think if you were seeing this scene with fresh eyes, and for some of you, you don't come to church any time other than this time. And so you're like, you're actually kind of have an advantage over somebody like me who's here every single week where you're like, this is a little bit weird. In fact, I thought about this. Um, I told our church this story a few weeks ago, but we have an nativity scene. We were setting it up in our house. And my daughter, this is the very first time, she's almost three. Uh, she was setting up a nativity scene for the very first time in her life. And so I handed her like Mary, and then she put Mary on the table, and then Joseph, and she put Joseph on the table, and then baby Jesus, and she put baby Jesus on the table. And then I handed her a donkey. And she was like, Daddy, why is there a donkey there? Um, you know, again, for those of us who have kind of just been in the tradition of the ritual, we just do that, right? Okay, and there's the, the, the livestock, and they're there as well. Um, but for her, like my daughter, she's a pastor's kid, so she goes and sees people who've just had babies in the hospital all the time. And she's been in every single Denver hospital. She's been in PSL, she's been at Rose, she's been at Jewish, she's been, she's been every single hospital. But you know what she hasn't seen, despite the diversity of all the hospitals she's been in? She's never seen livestock in the room after somebody has given birth. And it's crazy to me the degree to which we romanticize this. Like, oh, isn't it sweet that there were donkeys there? No, no, it wasn't sweet. It was quite gross. It was quite tragic. Um, you know, I was even thinking about, like, me and my wife, uh, we're pregnant right now, and we're realizing, like, when you're pregnant, everybody wants to have, like, a birth story. Particularly in Denver, there's a wide diversity of type of birth stories that people want to have. And uh, you'll hear anything and everything. And you try not to, like, bring it up because people are very opinionated about it. But here's the one thing that I haven't heard. Even in Denver, even in Denver, a city as weird as ours, I've never heard the birth story of somebody's like, you know what I dream of? I dream of having a major personal surgery with livestock in the room. That seems amazing. I would love to do that. And yet, that's Mary's story. Yet, that's the way that God chooses to become man. Why? Because even from the cradle, what Jesus Christ is doing is perfectly and fully identifying with the outsider. Even from the cradle, Jesus Christ is perfectly and fully identifying with those of you who have experienced tragedy and hardship. Can you imagine a tragedy and a hardship like getting ready to give birth and having no place inside to give it. So you have to do it outside in the middle of the night around pigs and other livestock. Even from the cradle, Jesus Christ has the cross in mind. And for those of you who have experienced tragedy and hardship and yearn for your life to be different and can't just sort of get swept up into the kind of positive vibes of the week, I hope you see that at the first Christmas, Jesus Christ is perfectly and fully identifying with you. Now, the, the second kind of aspect that I just really want to do to drive this home is not just kind of the way that God comes, but who it is that God first announces the birth of his son to as well. You know, another thing that you learn uh, as you're going through the pregnancy process is people have a very strong opinion about, like, 
where they are in sort of the pecking order of getting told uh, when the birth has happened. Do you know how this goes? Like, so if you've had a child and you give birth, you know there's a lot of opinions about, like, at what point am I told? Like, who gets told first? Is it, like, the, the wife's mom? Is it the husband's mom? Who gets told first about the baby being born? But you know who God tells first about his son being born? Shepherds. Shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. It was the same region. There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, we always overlook that line. They were filled with great fear. Why were they filled with tremendous fear? The reason is because shepherds were so much outsiders. A lot of times, again, we romanticize shepherds, especially for those of us in Denver. We're like, man, that seems like a dream profession. Like, is it too late for me to do that? Uh, can I change career paths? Like, you can grow a beard as long as you want to. You can wear whatever you want to. You get to work outside. You get to cuddle lambs. That seems like a lot of fun as well. Uh, but again, that's not the way that it was. Uh, in the first century, shepherds were the worst of the worst. They were the outsiders, the ultimate outsiders. There were a lot of reasons for this. I mean, first, it's because they were filthy. They were like literally dirty. For any of you who grew up on farms, which are many of you actually, you know that working with livestock is not cuddling lambs. It is nasty, nasty work. Now, because these shepherds were nasty dudes, they weren't allowed to come anywhere close to the, shepherd, towards the uh, temple to worship God because they were so dirty. And consequently, because they never came to the temple, they were viewed as intrinsically irreligious people. They were viewed as being people who were very, very far away from God. And in fact, they were such shady characters, they were so untrustworthy that shepherds weren't allowed to even offer testimony in a court of law. And yet, God chooses to have these people be the first ones who get the good news that he has been born, that Jesus Christ has been born. Why? Because at the first Christmas, again, there's no sort of romanticism about it. God has come in the most outsider way possible, and he has delivered the news of the, son of, his, of the birth of his son to the most outsider people possible, to all sort of have good news break into those of your lives who feel like outsiders and feel like you're struggling and feel like this is hard and feel like, you know, again, I really feel like this is the evening where there's a lot of you who come and you might just be here to sort of appease family and you're a very unlikely person to be here or you just sort of feel nostalgic for the church thing that you grew up around but you left long, long ago and you sort of see yourself as an outsider and this whole sort of kingdom of God thing. And I want you to see that like actually the first Christmas was specifically for somebody like you, for somebody specifically like you. Now, why in all of this? Well, let me just give one more observation, and then we'll, we'll continue singing. So thanks for listening. Um, it's interesting what it is that uh, the, the angel says to the shepherds. Again, we sort of sing this, and we don't think a lot about this, but think very critically about this. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he, that being God, is pleased. Here's the interesting thing is that in those angels, what they're declaring is that God has come to make peace between him and man. And this is where it's actually very good news for you to be an outsider. Because if you're an insider, and if you sort of feel like everything's perfect, and if you sort of feel like through kind of the goodwill and the cheer and just the intrinsic goodness of humanity, we can kind of make all the tragedies that we're experiencing just sort of disappear if we'll just try hard enough. Um, this really isn't that appealing of a message. But if, if you're an outsider and if you've experienced tragedy and hardship and you've seen the failings of humanity and you see the necessity of a God to step out of heaven into history, to restore and to put the world back together in the way that we long for it to be, this breaks into your life and it becomes really, really, really good news. And so, I mean, this is, I'm not saying like if you've had a good week, you should feel terrible about yourself, okay? That's not what I'm saying. 
But I'm saying in all of us, we experience the perpetual failings of humanity, the perpetual disappointments of doing life in a broken and fallen world. And it's easy to feel overwhelmed and discouraged, particularly in a week like this where the pressure is at the ultimate highest to sort of everything to be right. And it's like Christmas is for you. The first Christmas is for you. Fog and lights and laser lights and camels, like that's not for you, okay? But the first Christmas is for you. And when I'm praying for you, here's what I'm praying for you, is that all of you have a really, really great Christmas and a really, really happy new year. But here's what I hope for you even more, is if you aren't having a great Christmas and you're not looking forward to the new year, you would know the gospel of Jesus Christ is for you and makes all things new and can break into your life as well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to now, I love this, there's sort of this ancient tradition of us physically proclaiming what it is that we internally and spiritually believe. And that is the hope and the light of Christ breaking into a very, very dark world. And so if you got a candle when you came in, now's the time to pull out your candle. Uh, If you did not get a candle, you're like, what are they talking about? We have candles for you as well. And if you go back in the doors you came in, you can go back and there's boxes of them right there. There'll be people who hand you those as well. And we're going to have people walking around and lighting your candle. And I pray that as you do this, again, you're not like, oh, this is cool, or oh, this is perfect for my Instagram story right now. Let me get this. Um, But instead, what you would meditate on and think on, again, is this physical proclamation of a spiritual reality that for those of you who have seen the darkness of the world, the darkness does not win, but the light breaks in and overcomes. And we pray that as you hold this light, you even think about the light of Christ breaking into your own life and the life of your friends, neighbors, coworkers, whatever sphere of influence you've been entrusted with as well. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We love you guys very much. And let's continue to celebrate and sing.